you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 4. We're going to look at Judges chapter 4 and 5 today. Both chapters tell about the same events, but Judges chapter 4 is a historical narrative, uh, so it's, it tells the story. And then Judges chapter 5 is actually a song, so it's more like poetry, it's more like song lyrics describing the same series of events, and you really have to look at them together to get the full picture of what happened. Uh, You learn some things in the song that you don't hear in the story as it's told, and so we're going to look at them together today. We're in Judges chapter 4. Uh, Judges is the seventh book of the Bible, so if you begin at the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, if anybody carries a Bible anymore, you start at the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then Judges is that seventh book, and we're in Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We come to the fourth judge today, who is Deborah, and we see, as we come to Judges chapter 4, that same cycle that we talked about last week. Remember that cycle that we talked about, if you weren't with us? That cycle was the people of God rebel, then they experience ruin, then they repent, then God sends a rescuer, and then they repeat it, right? The rescuer dies, and then they do evil in the sight of the Lord. And we said last week, what God's people need is a rescuer who doesn't die. And of course, we have one in the Lord Jesus who lives and reigns forever. But we see that same cycle this week in Judges chapter 4. Let's look at it together. Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, that's the last judge, died. Does that bring you any comfort? We talked last week about how this cycle doesn't just describe the history of Israel at the time of the judges, that this cycle describes our life as well. It describes the Christian life. And I don't know about you, but it's so refreshing to me to hear them say, again, The people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's my story. That's your story too. That over and over and over again we turn away from God. But there is one hero in the book of Judges and indeed in all the Bible. And that is God who faithfully again and again and again comes after his people. Draws us back to ourselves. He is so faithful We've seen in this judges cycle that he does it, that as the people of Israel rebel, as they go astray, that he sends ruin into their life, and that's what causes them to turn back to him. So you see that in verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. And then we see the repentance in verse 3. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he, that Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So we see the people crying out to God, and if this story follows the pattern of all the others, God, because his people cry out to him, will now send a rescuer. And that's exactly what he does. In Judges chapter 4, We actually read about three folks that I want to focus on today in the story, three people that God uses to rescue his people. 
The first one I want to talk about is Deborah. So the first point will be about Deborah. We're going to read about her next. Then there is Barak, who's the military leader who actually carries out the assault and frees God's people. And then J.L., we want to talk about J.L. So two women in points one and three, and a man right there in the middle in uh, the second point of the sermon. Let's talk about these three folks who God uses to rescue his people. Let's talk about Deborah first. You see her story there. She's introduced in Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Let me read through verse 7, and let's talk about what we learn about Deborah from these three verses. Beginning in verse 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his troops and his chariots, and I will give him into your hand. So you see how the story flows here? Uh, the first person, the first rescuer introduced is Deborah. What do we learn about her? We see there in verse 4 that she is a prophetess. She is a woman who is a prophet. There are a few prophets mentioned in the Old Testament. Miriam, Moses' sister, is a prophet. Huldah is a prophet. The wife of Isaiah is a prophet. Not many of them, but there are a handful of prophets who are women. In the Old Testament, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. You know, we have folks here today, if they're important, they have their spokespeople who come out and speak on their behalf. Prophets were spokesmen or spokespeople for God. And so they actually spoke the word of God. And you see that in verse 6, right? When, if we can get to verse 6, when she sends for Barak and she says, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded? So she is speaking the word of God. Here's what God says, Go gather your men 10,000 of them, and here's what God is going to do. So she is speaking the very word of God. Now, you need to know prophecy in the New Testament is a little bit different from that. We have God's word written down from the prophets and the apostles in the New Testament. Hebrews 1 talks about this. At the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, it says, Hey, long ago and at various times and in various ways, God spoke through the prophets. That's the way he worked then. But now God has revealed himself through his Son. And so the New Testament, uh, the first four books are about Jesus. They record his words. And then his apostles, those appointed by Jesus, write down the New Testament. And so we have, thus saith the Lord, in this book. But people still prophesy. If you read about Acts 2, the, the, the prophecy in Joel was when the Spirit comes, people would prophesy men and women, old people and young people. So what's that talking about? This prophecy of the New Testament is not speaking the very word of God because we have that written down. What is prophecy for us today? Well, prophecy in the New Testament is more about speaking words that are consistent with the word of God 
but speaking words consistent with the word of God in order to encourage or strengthen or comfort or warn or to build up the people of God. It's what it looks like now that we have God's word. And you see Deborah actually doing that. If you look down in verse 14 of the text, later she will say to Barak, she's not saying, thus saith the Lord, she's just encouraging him and these troops that he's gathered together. And so she says, up. Your translation might say, arise. It may say, go. So she says, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So she's given these words of encouragement to the troops. And she's saying, yes, go, the Lord is with you. And she gives these words of encouragement. That's what it looks like now. That's what it looks like for us uh, to prophesy now. But Deborah is a prophet who speaks the very word of God we see in verse 6. But also these words strengthening, encouraging the people of God that we see in verse 14. What else do we learn about her? Verse 4 says she was judging Israel at that time. Now we've learned the word for judge is, is, uh, is a word that means lead. Your translation may actually translate it, that she was leading Israel at that time. And so Deborah is a community leader, right? She is leading this community of Israel. And we're told that Israel came to her to have their disputes decided, that they came to her for judgment. So of all the judges... Deborah is the most like what we think of, like a judge in a black robe with a gavel who makes decisions that are binding on folks. Now let me ask you a question. If Israel is going to Deborah, she's set up, you know, at this palm of this, she has her own tree there named after her, right? So she's right there. And if all Israel comes to her to resolve their disputes, what kind of person must Deborah have been? If all Israel goes to her to resolve disputes, what was she like? Well, who would we go to to resolve disputes? She must have been very wise. That's who we would go to. We wouldn't go to someone who's not a wise person to resolve. All of Israel goes to her. She must have been very wise. She must have been very fair and impartial, right? Not always siding with the rich, or always siding with the poor, or always siding with men, or always siding, always siding with later. She must have been very fair and impartial and wise as a community leader for all of Israel to come to her to have their disputes resolved. Now think about that. In this age, it's very unusual to have a woman in this kind of a position, right? So that says to me, she must have been like really, really wise. She must have been really, really fair to stand out in this way that all of Israel would come to her. She must have been quite the community leader in order for all of Israel to come to her in this way. And if you read Judges chapter 5, this song of Deborah that tells the story of what happened... You have to admit, if you read it, that not only was Deborah a prophet speaking the words of God, not only an encourager, encouraging, building up, warning the people of God with her own words that are consistent with the Scripture, not only wise and fair and impartial, 
she was quite a poet and a musician. In fact, her song is considered by many scholars to be one of the great artistic works of the ancient world. So Deborah was quite a person, quite a leader, that folks look to her. Now I want us to look here at the text and to see together how does God use a person like this? How does God use a prophet who speaks words of encouragement? How does he use a community leader? How might God use a judge that resolves disputes? How might God use a poet or a musician in the community of his people and in the place where his people live? How does God use a person like that? And this is where judges got very interesting to me. Because as I have read the situation they were in at this time, I realized, well, that's really, really similar to the situation we live in today. Look at it with me. If you read Judges 5, if you go down to verse 8, we read, when new gods were chosen, when the people of God begin to choose new gods instead of the one true God, so the people of God are straying from him. That when the people of God did not follow God, but they begin to follow other gods and make things more important to him, then we read in Judges 5 that Israel fell into great social decay. The poem tells us, the song tells us that there were no shared values, no community. Life in connection with one another had almost ceased. Things got so bad that it was every family for itself. The, the very social fabric was torn. There was no common culture until God raised up Deborah. Look at Judges 5 and verse 6. She's singing. She says, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, which is a judge listed right before, in the days of Jael, the, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. Do you hear that? People aren't on the road. They're staying to themselves. They're not traveling on the highways. Commerce has stopped. They're not trading with one another. Keep going. Look at verse 7. The, village, the villagers, your translation may say the villages, the villages or the villagers ceased in Israel. These communities that were living together, folks had run to the hill country and were just kind of staying to themselves. They were divided. The villages didn't exist. This, this common life did not exist in Israel. They ceased, she writes in verse 7, to be until I arose, I, Deborah, as a mother in Israel. Deborah's saying, look, there was this division. And then God raised Deborah up to be a parent in this larger community. And, and she was there enforcing a set of values. She was enforcing God's law so that individual families could once again become part of a larger family of the nation. That God raised her to power to do this, to, to bring people together, to bring communities together. That we could agree what Deborah decided is what's going to apply in this situation. Because we know her and we know that she is wise and that God is with her and that she judges fairly and impartially. 
And God raises her up to bring this community that was very divided together. Wow, I looked at that and I was like, man, that's where we live. That when the people of God cease to follow God, that we should expect the society in which we live to fall into great social decay when we chase other gods, when we have other values. And that when we have no shared values, that we can't even agree with each other on what's important. We live in a culture where we can't even talk to each other about what the issues are. They were afraid to even speak to one another. Oh, we may not all be living in different places in the hill country, but the villages have ceased to be that common place where we stand and talk to one another. I thought about the commerce and the trading. We've gotten to the point now where I won't buy coffee from you if I disagree with your politics. <laughs> That's crazy, right? I, don't, I had somebody tell me that I don't drink this kind of cola anymore because of their political pronouncements. We're at this point, aren't we? Social decay, chasing other gods, not even trading with one another, not even being able to talk to one another. Where are the Debras among us? Do you pray that God will raise up Debras among us? That there would be people who walk with God, that he gives the kind of wisdom that people would say, there's something different about that person. That God would make, would raise up people who were so fair and impartial that people would say we can go to them and what they say can be binding because we know they're wise and fair and impartial. Oh, that God would raise up Deborah's in our day. Do you pray for that? Deborah didn't just rise to power. God raised her up for such a time as this, for her people at this time. Let's, let's pray that God would raise up people like this. Are you willing to step up to be a Deborah? Are you willing to speak out, to speak God's truth, to say what is true? Evidently, God uses prophets and community leaders and judges and poets to bring a nation together. We see it here in the book of Judges. Where are the Deborahs among us? The prophets, those who would speak God's word. I think of Ephesians 4. It talks about how the people of God are blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. That we're tossed about like waves with every wind of change. And the call there in Ephesians 4 and verse 15 is that the people of God would speak the truth in love. Oh, that God would raise up people who would say what is true, but would do so in a loving and warm and winsome and gracious way. Oh, that God would raise up people who are wise. How do you get wisdom the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not chasing after other gods, 
but a person who is in awe of the one true God, who has their heart and their mind captivated by the one true God, is the one who has wisdom. Look in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. That's where it talks about the fear of the Lord's meeting wisdom. Yesterday, if you were at the wedding that, we were, uh, that some of us were at, uh, Psalm 111, the call to worship, has that same phrase in it about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do these people come from? God raises them up. We want to pray that God would do that. But do you remember the pattern we saw in Judges chapter 1? We saw a pattern there of how God raises up these rescuers. Do you remember what the pattern was? If you weren't with us, let me remind you. If you'd like me, just forget. We said the reason they disobeyed God is because they didn't trust God. And the reason they didn't trust God is because they didn't really know God. And we saw this, it might be too much to say somewhat of a formula, but we, we saw there that knowing God, knowing the real God leads to trusting God because he's so trustworthy. And then we really know him well, then we begin to trust him, then we begin to obey him, to walk in his ways because we know him and we trust him. We said that our failure to obey God is most times at its root a failure to know God and therefore trust God. So how do we develop, how do people like this develop? They're people who know God, who draw near to him. Not the God that we imagine in our minds, but the God who is there, as Francis Schaeffer described him. The one who reveals himself in his word. And as we get to know him, then we begin to trust him, and then we begin to walk in his ways. You want to see things change in public in our country? You want to see things change in public in our community? That comes from people spending time in private with the Lord. That's where it comes. Oh, that God would raise up people who he reveals himself to, who know God and begin to trust God and then begin to obey God, that he might use them to heal our land. That's Deborah. We meet Deborah. There's another character in the story. We, we heard her call to Barak, the one who's going to lead the armies. And she says, you need to raise this army and you need to go against this Sisera who has these 900 iron chariots and the Lord is going to give him into your hand. He's just supposed to go raise these troops from the countryside and he's fighting against this guy who's a great general who has all these iron chariots. And Barak is given to us as an example of great faith and great obedience to God. Look how he responds in verses 8 and nine. So she's just said, God's going to give you in his hand, go raise these troops, go fight this guy. Judges 4, verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will give Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So we're introduced to Barak here, and he has this interaction with Deborah. And he says, if you go, I'll go. If you're not going, I'm not going to go. And she says, yeah, I'll go with you. And, and by the way, God's going to deliver 
Sisera, not into your hand. You're not going to get the glory. He's going to deliver Sisera into the hand of a woman, which at this point was a great humiliation in battle if you lose to a girl, basically, is what's, what's going on. And some folks read this and they say that Barak is not showing faith, but he's showing doubt, that he's timid, that he doesn't want to go, and that Deborah's response is some kind of a rebuke, that because you're afraid, because you're scared, then God's not going to give him into your hand. He's going to give him into the hand of a woman. I want you to know, I don't read the text that way at all. And there are a lot of people who do that I really respect. A lot of commentators, that's the way they read the text. I don't read it that way, okay? And and I don't for three reasons. Let me tell you what they are. First, the text right here doesn't require that you read it that way, okay? You could read it that way. That's one way the text could be read. But what I'm seeing here is he's just saying, okay, yeah, I'll go, but I want you to go with me. I hear him saying, maybe he's saying, Deborah, you're so wise. You're so fear and apart. God is obviously so much on you. You're so anointing and gifted and used by God that I want you to go with me. Boy, I felt that way before. People who prayed me in the seminary, people who prayed me through seminary, I said, look, I'm not going to pastor that church unless you pray, because I know that you talk to God. So perhaps that's what Barack said. I'm not going unless you go with me, because I know God is with you. He's on you. He's anointed you. I want you to go with me, and if you're not, I don't want to go, because I don't want to go without God. And she could be saying here, Yes, I will go with you, and here's some additional information. Oh, by the way, God's going to give the general into the hand of a woman. Now, so you could read the text both ways. Now, why do I read it the way that I do? Well, that's number two and three. So number one, the text can be read both ways. Number two, there's scripture that comes before this and scripture that comes after this that makes me lean to this other reading. Let me tell you what those are. So number two, the scripture that comes before this, Exodus 33. God tells Moses, you're at Mount Sinai. I want you to take the people into the promised land. Guess what Moses says? If you're not going with us, then I don't want to go. But if you'll go with me, then I will. Right? Very similar to what Barak says here. And you can read in Exodus 33 down around verse 12. God doesn't rebuke Moses. Moses knows God's mad at the people because they just worship the golden calf, right? And God's about to say, look, I just want to wash my hands of the whole thing. But God honors Moses' request and says, yes, I will go with you. My presence will be with you. He doesn't rebuke Moses for asking the question. So I don't think God is, is mad for Barak to ask this question because he wasn't mad in Exodus 33. And the, the, the text sounds so much the same. I think I'm supposed to read this with that Exodus 33 in mind. So that's the scripture that comes before that makes me think, I don't think this is showing little faith. I think he just wants God's presence with him. The other place that's very persuasive becomes after this. Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame of faith. You know there are only four characters out of the book of Judges that are mentioned in that great hall of fame of faith? You know who they are? Samson, who's hard for me to believe because he's so bad. We'll get to him in a few weeks. Gideon, we'll talk about him the next time I preach. Jephthah, who's probably the one you haven't heard of, so you need to be here that week because you didn't hear about him in Sunday school. He's pretty bad, too. I'll just go ahead and tell you. And the fourth one is Barak. 
He's mentioned in Hebrews in this great hall of fame of faith where it says, by faith, this is what God's people did. That by faith, Abraham went to the promised land. And in Hebrews eleven thirty two 32, it says that by faith, that these folks who were judges conquered. They conquered kingdoms through faith. That they became mighty in war through faith. That they put foreign armies to flight through their faith. Deborah's not listed in Hebrews 11. Barak is. And so I think he's an example of great faith to us. And he's an example of great faith because he leads this infantry of 10,000 men against 900 iron chariots. Now you have to know the background here, okay? The Bronze Age is coming to an end, so we're at about 1200 B.C., and the Iron Age is coming into effect. And if you've got iron, you are a superior military force, okay? The Israelites don't even have bronze chariots, right? They, got, they have no chariots against these 900 iron chariots. And so you have to understand that an iron chariot could just slice through foot soldiers, that Barak was basically leading these men into battle to their deaths. They were against an army with vastly superior technology. In fact, if you go back and read in Judges 1 and verse 19, remember Judah didn't conquer the people on the plain, but he had been successful in the hill country because the people on the plain had chariots of iron. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And remember Judges chapter 2, God says, yeah, they had vastly superior technology, but if you have faith in me, you should have fought them anyway. Because God can do amazing things. And so Barak believes in God. Even though military policy says you don't engage unless you have an advantage. And from a human standpoint, the iron chariots would beat an infantry ten times out of ten. So it took great faith for him to run down the hillside and run into this battle and engage those with superior technology. But Deborah, a prophetess, a spokesperson for God, says, God commands you. He will give Sisera into your hand, and Barak obeys. And he does so knowing that he's not going to get the glory for this win. He does so knowing that a woman is going to get credit for the victory. Now, when you hear that, who do you think is going to kill Sisera? I think it's going to be Deborah, right? She's the only woman that's been mentioned in the story. She's the only one in Judges of any kind of significance. That's not what happens. Person number three, J.L. Before I go, let me just mention about Barak. As the people of God, we're called to live by faith. That's that whole point of Hebrews 11, right? Here's an example of all these people who live by faith. And so then we're called, since we're surrounded by this great, all these witnesses who have lived by faith, we're called to persevere, to throw off sin and the things that so easily entangle us and run the race that God has for us by faith, trusting in him, knowing that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith so we don't lose hope. We keep running at our race because we know that we can have faith in God. From a human standpoint, things get ugly out there and there's little hope. But by faith in God, we persevere. By faith in God, we can go on. By faith in God, we overcome. By faith in God, we enter into a broken and messed up world and see God do amazing things. I call you, have faith in God. 
Obey the word of the Lord despite what you see in the world around you. And we'll get to see God work in some amazing, in some amazing ways. But what about this third woman, the one that actually does triumph over Sisera? It's Jael, J-A-E-L. She's not even an Israelite. We hear her story. In fact, let's just read what happens, beginning in verse 15. Remember 14? Deborah said, go, arise, go attack these guys. God's going to give them into your hand. Verse 15. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot into the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside into her tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink uh, and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and says to you, is anyone here? It's funny, if any man comes, that's all he's worried about. If any man comes, just say, and says, is anyone here? Just say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from weariness. And I like the clarification, so he died. <laughs> well, I guess he did. The last time I taught this, I was a summer youth intern at the Baptist church I grew up in, and I'd gone back over from Sanford. I'm like, man, I'm teaching judges. Because kids will love, you know, Ehud the left hand and the, the knife disappears and it's fat. You know, oh, they love that. Or this one, a tent peg through by somebody's temple. This kind of stuff gets your attention, right? What are we supposed to learn from that? It's a cool story, right? But what are we supposed to learn from that? Well, I've been thinking about that this week. Maybe Jael had great faith in the God of Israel, and maybe she just wanted to strike down the enemy of God's people. God could certainly move that way if he wanted to do so. He could certainly use someone outside the people of God. He used other people in Joshua. He used Rahab that was outside the people of God who hid the spies. God can certainly use people that are outside the people of God, and perhaps that's why her motivation was just glory to the God of Israel. I don't know. If you read the song in Judges 5, and you realize Jael's not an Israelite, if you realize that her people were at peace with Hazor, probably because they had been conquered by them, maybe even by Sisera himself, and if you read the song in Judges 5, down around verse 30, it tells about how Sisera's usual campaigns turn out. And in Judges 5 and verse 30, Deborah sees fit to put in here that when Sisera would conquer a group, a village, if you've already read ahead down there in 5 and verse 30, the NIV says that, that at the end of the campaign there are two women for every man. And that's a really nice cleaned up uh, translation. 
If you have the ESV, it says there are two wombs for every man. The New American Standard says there are two concubines or two basically sex slaves. Even all these that get a little more graphic are, 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 are not graphic enough. The song is very graphic. It would have the you know, parental guidance on the lyrics, explicit if you had the song of Deborah recorded, right? It would have that little E next to it. It's possible, and I would say probably more likely, J.L. knows of Sisera, that he's conquered her village, that she knows his cruelty to women. Maybe even he did those kinds of things to her own friends. And the irony here is that this man who abused women who promised a woman or two for every man, that this man is defeated by a woman or two. <laughs> Deborah gives the command for Barak to attack the place and when to do so. And then, of course, J.L. delivers the death blow. And as we talked about at this time, death by a woman's hand was very humiliating. But there's even more irony. If you like irony, this is a delicious story. Because there's even more irony here. Guess whose job it was to put up the tents? You want to know? Folks might say it's woman's work. Women are the one that put up the tents. So whose tent peg and mallet is this? It's JL. She keeps it in the house. That's her job. These are women's tools, women's appliances. So this abuser of women died at the hand of a woman using the tools of a woman. Crazy story. A lot of irony. What do we take away? Well, I'll tell you the big one for me. God accomplishes his purposes, but he does so in some surprising ways, usually in ways we don't think about, Right? In this story, he says, look, I'm going to deliver Sisera into your hand. I didn't see this happening. He said, look, you're going to be successful. I didn't think it'd be like this. He says, look, I'm going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. I didn't even see it coming then, right? We think it's going to be Deborah. God works in some surprising ways. Think about that in your own life. There are some promises that God has made to us. He tells us what he's going to do. But when he does it, we're still surprised by it. We're still blown away at times. So I just want to encourage you, do not lose heart. If God does not seem to be keeping his promises in the way that you thought he would, listen, God always keeps his promises. God will do what he says he will do. But you can't tie him down about how he's going to do it. His timing is seldom our timing. And his ways are often shocking to us. So don't lose hope. God accomplishes his purposes in some surprising ways. I think it even of his visitation to this world. We expected a great military leader. He came as a baby. He came, as you've been, if you've been here in Sunday school, as one who is gentle and lowly. 
that he conquered by dying. God keeps his promises. Oh, but seldom in the way that you think that he will. So don't lose hope. But keep your faith in the faithfulness of our God. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, you are the one who must keep us. We again do evil in your sight and chase after other gods. I pray that you would show yourself faithful, that you would continue to rescue us, that you would raise up Deborahs among us, that you would give us great faith like Barak, that you would surprise us in the ways that you work, even as you keep your promises. Please come and do that. Even in our hearts, even in our homes, even in our in our community, even in our country, that you would again show yourself faithful to your people. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.